Well, good evening. I'd like to welcome you again to our broadcast here at Spring Street Baptist Church. Still looking forward to that time that we can come together again and worship one with another. I'm looking forward to having our choir back in the choir loft and having our people here that we can spend time in fellowship. But until then, we'll continue to do what we can uh, so long as the Lord allows. And again, we're just thankful to have you tuning in this afternoon. And I pray that uh, this will be a blessing to you. I'd like to take just a moment now, and uh, let's go before the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, again today, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this opportunity that uh, though we're not able to come together as the church, as we're not able to come together as the family, Lord, we are thankful that uh, spiritually we can come together. Lord, we're thankful that we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for the technology that you've allowed us, that we might continue to proclaim the gospel, that we might be able to stay in touch with our loved ones, our church family, and all the rest. And Lord, I just come to you this afternoon, and I pray that you would continue to work, that you would continue to do what only you can. Lord, I pray especially for those who or on the front lines, they continue to do that good work to be a help to our people. Lord, I pray for our doctors and nurses, the hospital staff. I, I pray for those who are uh, working in the emergency services. Father, we pray for our police officers, our firefighters, our paramedics. We pray for those who continue to work, Lord, those who have those jobs that uh, require them to continue to come in, that they might be able to serve the people of our community. And Father, we just pray that you would protect them, that you would continue to provide their needs. I pray especially tonight as we think about our missionaries. Lord, we think about those evangelists, those who uh, depend on being able to be at meetings on a weekly basis, that they might be able to get the support they need, even to make it from one week to the next. And Father, we pray that in a time such as this, we not forget them, that we continue to try to help and be an encouragement to them, that we continue to lift them up. Just trust in, Lord, that you will continue to provide, uh, even as your word has promised. Father, we come before you now and ask you that you would be a help to us, that you would encourage us through your word, Father, that we might take these words and, and apply these to our lives as we seek to live a life that brings glory to you. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we've seen over these past few weeks how things can change so very quickly. It's an amazing thing that in just a moment, in a matter of a day or a couple of days or even a week, that the entirety of our world can be turned upside down. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to be looking at John's gospel as we spend moments with the master. And we're going to be in chapter number five, and we will see that there is a man here. There is a man that uh, would come to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, and his life would be changed assuredly forever and ever. And it's an amazing thing as we look through these scriptures and as the Apostle John would document, we see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We see that He is the only begotten that God would send to die on that old rugged cross that you and I might be saved of our sin. We see that in, these, in this gospel account, uh, there are miracles that have been performed. By now, He has already turned the water into wine there at Cana. At this point, he has already spoken with Nicodemus 
teaching him that he must be born again and giving us that wonderful account that we find in the third chapter of this gospel. In John chapter number four, we find the Lord Jesus Christ would take but a few moments and spend with that woman at the well who had known five husbands and was now living with another man and how the Lord would send her that he might call others that they would come unto him and believe upon him, putting their faith in him that they indeed might have eternal everlasting life. Uh, we see at the end of John in chapter number four, there was a nobleman who would come and, and seek the Lord Jesus Christ. That nobleman's son had uh, grown sick and the nobleman was sure that his son's life would, would be claimed. And so he come to the Lord Jesus asking that, that he might but speak the word, that he might do what only he could, that that child's life be spared. We find ourselves this afternoon in John chapter number 5, and we'll read but just a few verses, and we see how the Lord has worked and done such a wonderful uh, thing in the life of one man here in this gospel account. But how we go and continue to read throughout that chapter, and we find that not only has the Lord dealt with this one man, but he has dealt with men uh, throughout the ages and those who will continue to read the scripture here, even until the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John chapter number five, if you have your Bible, we'll begin reading in verse number one. And the Bible says this, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, and halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool, and troubled the water, whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in, was made whole of whatever disease he had. Now we're going to stop right there for just a moment because I believe here in these first four verses we have somewhat of an introduction to what's about to take place. If we look in verse number one, we see the Bible says after this, after the things that had happened in John in chapter number four, after the uh, woman at the well experience, after the nobleman's son had been healed, sometime after this, the Bible says that there was a feast of the Jews. Now we do not know what this feast is. I have read and studied this chapter and I've uh, read after many commentators and many commentators would say that it is thought that this was the feast of Passover. Other would say that many think this to be the feast of Pentecost. We do not know. We cannot say assuredly what feast this is. But what we do know is this. If there were a feast there in Jerusalem, it would be required of all those male Jews to be in that place. When the feast times would come, especially those three majors, uh, every good Jew would have to come to Jerusalem that they might worship God there. And so the Bible says that there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now remember, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. At the same time, Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. Jesus Christ was of Jewish descent. Jesus was born of a woman by the name of Mary. Now never make the mistake of believing that there is anything extra special about Mary. Now yes, Mary was chosen. And yes, God used her as a vessel that His Son might be uh, given unto us. But do not 
think that Mary is holy or that she is one that ought to be worshipped. I believe if Mary were here before us today, she would agree with what I am trying to say. It was not about Mary. It was about the one that would come from her. And that would be, of course, none other than the Lord Jesus. Jesus was of Jewish descent. You find his lineage there in the gospel accounts. And so Jesus, being a good Jew, the fulfillment of the law, he who is without sin, he would be where he was supposed to be. And so if there was a feast there in Jerusalem, he would be in that place being a good Jew. Now the Bible says in verse number two, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool. Now if you look back to the book of Nehemiah, you will not find the term sheep market, but you would find a sheep gate. Now, the sheep gate would be there on the outer courts of the city. And as you would come through that gate, that would be the place in which they would bring the sacrificial sheep. That would be the place in which they would bring into the city towards the temple of the sacrificial oxen. And so we've got this gate and there by that gate, the Bible says there is a pool. Now, that's not a swimming pool like you and I would think of today, but that would be a source of water. And the Bible says that that pool was named, and it was named of the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda. And now we find here that we are at the sheep gate. We are at the pool of Bethesda, which is literally the, the house of mercy. And the Bible says that around that pool, which uh, as I've studied and read and uh, looked back, there have been those who have found that site and that they likened that pool to be around the size of a football field, if you could get that in your mind. This is not a, a small pool. This is not a, 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 a very small body of water. This is a rather large body of water, and around that body of water, the Bible says there are five porches. There are five covered shelters, if you will. Now, best I can gather, that pool would look something like our sanctuary. It would be a rectangle. It would be uh, quite a bit longer than it is wide. And across the center of it, going long ways, there would be what you and I might would call a bridge. And on that bridge would be one of these porches, one of those covered places. And then there would be a bridge on, or excuse me, a porch or a covered place on either side of that pool. And so we've got this pool, this body of water. We've got these five porches. And the Bible says amongst those five porches surrounding that pool, there was a great multitude. Now, some believe that there would regularly be somewhere around two to three hundred people around this pool. But now remember it's feast time. There have been more people who have come to Jerusalem. Some believe that it could have been as many as two to three thousand who would surround this pool at this particular time. And the Bible says... It gives us some inclination. It, it gives us some insight of who it was that was surrounding that pool. This was not the religious elect. Around that pool, we do not find Pharisees. We do not find the scribes. We do not find the Sadducees. We do not find the priests. We do not find the Levites. We do not find the, uh, the Roman guards. We do not find any of these. No, the Bible says that surrounding that pool... We have those who were impotent, those who were blind, they could not see. Those who were halt, they had no use of their legs. Those, uh, the Bible says, who were withered, they were just of a sickly countenance. You could just imagine the crew that had surrounded this pool. This would be a place that most other people uh, would not find themselves in the midst of. Most uh, what we might call normal people. Most healthy people, 
Most of these religious people who have come that they might worship, they would stay far, far away from that place. Why? Because that would be what many would call the outcast of society. Those who could not hear, those who could not see, those who had known whatever infirmity they had known. Now, if we were to stop right here and think for just one moment, if we could stop right here and put ourselves back in that place, where would we be? Would we be of the crowd that would stay far away from the pool of Bethesda? Would we be of the crowd that would stay far away from that which is named the house of mercy? Or would we be some of those impotent folk? Some of those who could not see, some of those that could not hear, some of those that could not walk that would surround that pool just waiting, waiting for the opportunity to find healing. I believe if we were to stop and to be honest with ourselves, we could say that we would be surrounding that pool just waiting for the stirring of water. I believe if we could be honest with ourselves, we would realize that just as these many whether it be two or three hundred or two or three thousand or whatever the case might be, if we could stop and be perfectly honest with ourselves, we would realize that there was a time in our life that we were suffering just as these would suffer. Now, it might not be a physical suffering. It may be that God has given you a, a perfect health. It may be that uh, you are in really good shape You've never been blind or you've never had a broken bone. You've never known any true physical infirmity. And yet we all suffer in one way or another. It may not be physical. It may not be something external. It may be that you are suffering on the inside. It could be even now. It could be at this very particular place and at this very particular time that you may be suffering with some sense of depression. It could be that, that you are longing, looking for some sort of hope, and yet there is no hope to be found. It could be anxiety. It could be fear. It could be that you are suffering the loss of a loved one. I don't know what it is, but chances are each and every one of us are suffering in one way or another. The Bible says here in verse number 4, that as, excuse me, back in verse number 3, uh, that these impotent folk, the blind, the halt, the withered, the withered, they're around this pool and they're doing one thing. They're waiting. They're waiting for the moving of the water. They have put all of their hope in the movement of that water. They have put all of their expectation in the movement of that water. Every desire, every longing within them Every chance, every hope of any sort of chance, any sort of change in their physical uh, make, they have put into the movement of that water. As I've continued to read and study, it is thought, it is believed, it, it has been proven that the waters that would feed this particular pool were intermittent. There was a stream that would come, but it did not flow at all times. Uh, there would be times that the stream would flow, and at other times it would not. And so when that stream would begin to flow, it would pour out into this pool and that water would begin to move. And there were some medicinal properties about that pool. There was something in that water that really would help people. It would physically uh, help those who could not see to restore their sight. Now, it cannot be explained. It could not be explained even today. The Jews thought it was the angel who would come and stir that water that that infirmity might be healed. And it very well could be. 
But the fact of the matter is this, in verse number 4, the Bible says, An angel went down at a certain season into the pool, and troubled the water, whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. Now, I do not want to over-spiritualize this. I do not want to overthink this. I'm going based off of what the Bible says. And very clearly what the Bible is teaching us is this. When that water began to stir, when that water began to move, the first one that could come out from under that porch. Now, I'm not sure they would know exactly what moment that would be. So I'm not sure that they would all be standing around that pool just waiting to see who could be the first person to jump in. But I'm sure that they would sit under those porches outside of the, uh, the hot sun and they would just wait. And at the very moment that that water would begin to stir, I'm sure that each and every one would jump in hoping that they might be first, that they might be able to know uh, that medicinal property which would come and heal whatever infirmity it was in which they had known. Well, it's interesting as we continue to read. And in verse number five, the Bible says, And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Now, the Bible says in verse number three, there was a great multitude. There was a lot of people. Like I said, it could have been a few hundred. It could have very well been a few thousand. But here in verse number five, the apostle John has taken time to pen these words. There was a certain man. There was one man in particular. This man had been there for and, and had suffered this infirmity, whatever infirmity it must have been. And I feel very confident it was something to do with lameness. I feel that he could not walk. He, he, had, he was a paralytic. But the Bible says that for some 38 years he had suffered. There was a certain man there which had an infirmity 38. Could you imagine 38 years? Now, was this man 38 years old? Had he known this infirmity all of his life? I do not think so. If you'll look in verse number 14, the Bible says that after this man had been healed, he would go back and Jesus would introduce himself unto him. And the Bible says that Jesus would tell him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. I think whatever the case must have been, I believe, according to what I'm reading here in the Scripture, that this man had done something 38 years prior to this event. This man had done something. He had sinned in some sort of way, some sort of fashion that had caused this infirmity to befall upon him. Today, we might think of it this way. It could be that this man uh, was an alcoholic and he decided to, uh, to have a drink and he got behind the wheel of a car. And he was doing that in which he ought not. And he got in a wreck. And in that wreck, he became paralyzed. That is the mental picture I have in my mind when I read the scripture here. But nevertheless, the Bible says this. There was 38 years that this man had suffered. 38 years. Now, it could have been that for the past 38 years, he had been there at the pool of Bethesda. And the Bible, again, does not tell. But what we do see is this, that Jesus is going to deal with this man personally. You have got the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has entered into Jerusalem. Jesus Christ could have very well, but with one word, healed every man, every woman that had surrounded them. But that's not the way God works. You will find, not only in the life of this man, but in your life and mine, when Jesus begins to deal, He deals very personally. And I'm very thankful tonight that when Jesus deals, he deals on a personal level. I will never forget the time that the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with me. 
I will never forget that Sunday morning I heard the message preached. I will never forget that Holy Spirit conviction. Now, there must have been 200 plus people in that church, but I felt as if I were the only one. Why? Because God was dealing with me in a very personal way. I was speaking to someone just this week, and we were talking, and we were talking about the, a preacher who would come up and he would begin to preach, and you might have a church that runs 30, it may run 300, it could very well run 3,000. But it's an amazing thing how that preacher can stand in a pulpit, he can open God's Word, he can preach a message, and that message could speak to one person in an entirely different way than it speaks to somebody else. And it can speak to that one in an entirely different way than it does yet another. Why is that? It's the same preacher. It's the same book. It is the same spirit, but that spirit deals with our hearts very personally and in a very personal manner. He is dealing with the very need in which we have. And so we find the Lord Jesus Christ who would single this man out. He would find that certain man and do a great work in that man's life. Look at verse number six. Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Now, how did Jesus know that this man had been 38 years suffering this infirmity? Had he overheard someone saying, Did he go about inquiring of this man? No, we must remember this is the Son of God. As God, he would be omniscient. He would know all things. Now, we do understand that Jesus Christ made himself to be a man. He suffered as a man and all the rest. But never ever forget that He is indeed, always has been, always will be God. He is the great I Am. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the creator of the heaven and the earth. He is the second person of the Godhead. He is the Son of Almighty God. He is God in the flesh. And so Jesus Christ looks and He sees this man and He singles him out. Now, you could just imagine, or I could just imagine, what this man must have been thinking. Surely, the fame of Jesus has, uh, has come before him. Could it be that someone would have pointed a finger and said, that's the one? Could it be that there was someone around that pool that had heard of his fame? Could it be that someone had known about the, uh, the child that had just been saved in John chapter number 4, whose life had just been saved in John chapter number 4? Could it be that they heard about the miracle performed there at Cana? I'm sure that someone must have known something about this man. You've got this man who for 38 years who has been lame. And now Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come and stepped up to him. Now no matter who this would have been, it's an amazing thing that this question would have been asked, Wilt thou be made whole? Had this been but any other man, that would have been a ridiculous question. Had this been any other man, rather it had been a good Jew such as Nicodemus, it could have very well been a John the Baptist. It could have been the Apostle John himself or any of the others. But this is Jesus. Had it been any other, any other man that would come and ask, would thou be made whole? He would have asked in vain. There would have been absolutely nothing he could have done to help that man. But Jesus can do all things, for there is nothing impossible with God. And so he goes and he asks that question. Will thou be made whole? Do you have a desire 
to be healed of your infirmity. I could ask that question of each and every one of us tonight. Wilt thou be made whole? Not that you're lame or deaf or blind or any of the rest, but whatever that suffering is that you are dealing with that we spoke of just a few moments ago, whatever it is that is on your mind right now, whatever that burden is, the Lord would look down to you and ask you this question, will thou be made whole? It could very well be that you're watching this this afternoon. It could very well be that sometime this week you will just be scrolling through your Facebook account and you will see Spring Street Baptist Church. Somebody has shared it somehow. It's come across your screen and you decided, why not? And you click the button and you begin to watch. And all of a sudden, it could be that the Lord begins to deal with your heart. And it could be that you are a lost person. It could be right now that you are watching this and you would say, I have never trusted Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And Jesus Christ would look down upon you and ask you this question, will thou be made whole? Will thou be made complete? Will thou be made perfect? Will thou be born again as he would use that terminology with Nicodemus in John in chapter number three? Notice what the, happens in verse number seven. The impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. This was a man who was absolutely without hope. How many times had he been in this position? Could he be, could it be that daily he would have a friend or two that would have mercy on him? They would take him from his home, wherever that might be, and bring him there to the pool. It could have been that for the past 38 years, day in and day out, he had found himself in that place. It could be at this particular time, he is there because simply he has nowhere else to be. It could be that there's no family, there's no friends, there's nowhere else to go. And so he is here hoping that by chance, that might be his day. But I believe at this point, after some 38 years, He's starting to think there is no hope. He's starting to think it's just not ever going to happen to me. How many times has he known disappointment? How many times has he gotten so excited only to be let down? He looks to the Lord and he says, Sir, I have no man. That was, that was trouble number one. I have no man. He was looking for man that man might help him. Man cannot help. Now, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that when I'm sick that there's a doctor I can go to. I'm thankful that if I need my eyes checked, there's an optometrist. I'm thankful that God has given certain men and certain women certain knowledge and certain wisdom that they might be able to care for the body. But there was not a man that could do anything for this one. He looked at him and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. I'm doing everything I can. I cannot walk, and so I try to drag myself. I put one hand out in front of the other. I'm grabbing, and I'm clawing, and I'm crawling, and I'm scratching. I'm doing everything that I can, but I just can't seem to make it. It's an amazing thing that as men and women who are lost... As men and women who are without Christ, we do everything that we can, but we never seem to succeed. It is an amazing thing that you see that one who is not a child of God. They've got everything the world has to offer. 
They've got all the money, the cars, the homes, and all the rest, but there is no joy, there's no happiness, there's no contentment. Why? Because they are looking to what man can offer, and man cannot offer anything. It is only what God can give. Notice what the Lord says in verse number 8. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Jesus did not go to this man and put his hand on his shoulder. He did not put his hand on his back. He did not kneel down and look at his feet. He did not do any of these things. He said one phrase. Seven words. Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Three commands all rolled into one. First of all, he said, I want you to do what only you can do. If the Lord is ever going to do anything in your life and mine, it's only going to be after we've done everything that we can do. I am a firm believer that God is going to work. He's going to work in this situation that we find ourselves in right now. I believe that God is truly going to do something wonderful. I believe, I have, I have absolute faith that God is going to do a mighty work. Amen. God's going to work through His church. God is going to work through the body of Christ. And I've told our people time and time again that if God is going to use this church, if God is going to use you, or if God is going to use me, we must make ourselves usable. We must spend time alone, quietly in prayer. We must spend time in God's Word. We must do everything that we can do. God is not looking for people that, that He might give power to, that He use even outside of uh, their own desire to serve Him. God is looking for people who are faithful. God is not calling those, or God is not looking for theologians necessarily. God's not necessarily looking for uh, this and that. What God is looking for, even in the day and hour in which we live, is people who are faithful, who are willing to serve, or are willing to spend time with Him in prayer, willing to be used of Him. And so God could look to you and I today and say, rise. That's the part you can do. You can stand up. You can get up. You can take that first step. If you'll notice over in Ephesians in chapter number 4, I believe it's chapter number 4, no, it's chapter number 2. The Bible speaks, and this is the Apostle Paul writing, he's speaking concerning salvation. Now, where does salvation come from? Salvation is entirely of God. That is correct. We know this. The Bible says this, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. By grace are ye saved through your faith, by grace are ye saved through your faith. You put your faith in Him, and by His grace He will save you. But even the faith that we put in Him is the gift of God. The grace is the gift of God. It is all the very gift of God. Amen. But we trust. We put our faith in Him. We call out unto Him. We do what we can do that He might do what only He can do. And so the Lord says, rise. And then He says, take up thy bed. Now why would this man take up his bed? He said, I don't want there to be any comfort there that you might return back to this place. I want you to stand up. I want you to take up your bed, take up that blanket, take up that, that pillow, whatever that might be. I want you to take it off and I want you to walk. I want you to walk away from this place never to return here again. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. Notice the threefold command the Lord had given unto this man. But notice what happens in verse number nine and this is what excites me. The Bible says, and immediately the man was made whole. 
and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath immediately. This was not something that would take place over a period of time. It was not that that man uh, would uh, rise up and then a week or two later, his legs begin to heal or the strength be given back unto him. No, the Bible says immediately, 38 years, wrap your mind around this thing for 38 years. This man has suffered for 38 years, nearly four decades this man has been lame. This man has not been able to stand on his own feet all of this time. And now the Lord has spoken unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. I don't know what was going through that man's mind, but the Bible says this immediately, the man was made whole. The man was made complete. Something miraculous took place there beside that pool in Bethesda. He was made whole. Notice what he did. He did exactly what the Lord commanded him to do. The Bible says he took up his bed and he walked. The Bible goes on to tell us in verse number nine, the same day was the Sabbath. And you will see that the remainder of this chapter, the Lord has to deal with that. The Lord is doing what uh, the Jew thought the Lord ought not to do. Actually, this man was doing what the Jew thought he ought not to do. On the Sabbath day, that, that holy day, it would have been unlawful. It would have been, been against uh, uh, the tradition of the Jewish people that that man take up his bed. He would have lifted a burden. And that was against what they had taught. And so this man is doing exactly what he ought not to do. And the penalty for he doing that in which he was doing was death. But he explained to them, there was a man that had just healed me. Who was the man? I don't know. Well, he runs back into the Lord a few moments later. He runs into Jesus. He comes in and tells him, it was Jesus. It was he who told me to rise and take up my bed and walk. Well, they already had beef with Jesus. They already didn't like Jesus. So they're going to let this man go and they're going to turn their eyes unto him. And notice what the Lord says in verse number 17. And we're going to skip uh, very quickly to chapter, verse number 24 and hear it in but a moment. But the Bible says, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh here too and I work. My father has worked even from the dawn of creation. My father has worked ever from the beginning. And as my father works, so shall I work. Why is it unlawful that I am to make this man whole, even it being the Sabbath day? Why is it unlawful that I do this good work for this man who has suffered these many years? And so the Bible says that even more so at this point than had they before, the Jews have got a purpose in their heart that they would have his life. They would kill. They would take the life of the Son of God, the Son of Man. They would, at this point, had they had opportunity, taken his very life from him. And Jesus answered, and you could read verses 19 through the remainder of the chapter. I'm going to verse number 24. And Jesus looked at these Jews. Could have been the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the rest. The Bible is not very clear concerning this. But he does say this in verse number 24. Verily, verily. Now anytime you'll find this throughout the book of John, you find it in verse 19, you find it again in verse 24. Anytime you find verily, verily, the Lord is saying this is something very important. Stop everything you're doing. Remove any distraction from your mind. Whatever it is that you're thinking about, take just one second and get that off of your mind. Pay very close attention to what I'm about to say. Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
He that, number one, heareth my word. Number two, believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, had physically healed this man. But there was a greater healing the Lord would teach of, the Lord would speak of here in verse number 24. He would speak of that spiritual healing in which each and every one of us must know if we're ever going to put our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We've said again and again that when this life comes to an end, we've got but two choices. There are but two destinations. There is, of course, heaven. That is that place in which God is. That place in which Christ is. And then there's that hell which was created for Satan and the fallen angels. And the Bible is very clear and very true to teach the fact that when our life comes to an end, when this old body breathes its last breath, there is an eternity awaiting the soul and the spirit. And that soul and that spirit are going to reside in one of those two places, heaven where God is or hell that was created for Satan and the demons. How, you ask me tonight, how can I know beyond any shadow of a doubt? How can I be sure that when this life comes to an end, when this physical body knows death, how can I know that heaven's going to be my home? Notice again what the Lord says here in verse number 24. Verily, verily, importantly, of the utmost importance as a matter of fact, Jesus might have said, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was made flesh, that he dwelt among us, that he was in always tempted and yet without sin. Faith is realizing the very fact that each and every one of us are sinners at best, born in sin, sinners by choice and sinners by birth. And because we are sinners, and I'm not saying we're all grotesque sinners, I'm not saying you are a thief or a murderer or a child molester or any of the rest, but the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means each one of us outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to that place in our lives that we realize that we are sinners and because of our sin, there is a separation. There is physical and spiritual death that separates us from Almighty God. It is then when we come to that place that we might hear the gospel. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is only when we come to that place and realize that Jesus Christ came and gave that perfect life, that sinless life, that the Bible says He became sin who knew no sin, that we might be made His righteousness. Jesus Christ allowed that Roman guard to nail Him to that cross. Jesus Christ allowed Himself to be crucified. Jesus Christ allowed Himself to die that you and I might live forevermore. He that heareth my word, my gospel, my scripture, and believeth on Him that sent me, God the Father hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. He shall not know judgment, but is passed from death unto life. The Bible is very clear that you and I, outside of the grace of God, are dead. There was a time prior to my being 19 years old, that I was a dead man, spiritually dead. 
There was a time that I knew not life. But it was when I accepted Jesus Christ to be my Savior that I passed out of death unto life. The Bible says that I was made a new creature in Him. I would ask you that same question tonight. Has there ever been that time that you've heard the gospel presented? Has there ever been that time that you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Has there ever been that time that you believed on the one that sent Him, God the Father? Has there ever been that time that you asked the Lord Jesus to wash away your every sin? If not, I would ask you this question, why not tonight? Why not wherever it is you, that you are? Why not confess to the Lord Jesus Christ that you are a sinner in need of salvation? Why not ask Him even where you are right now that He would wash away your every sin? Put your faith in Him. Repent of your sin. God, I agree that I'm a sinner. And God, I, I, I understand that I must turn away from that sin. I must turn away from that old life. I must become that new creature, that new creation. I must be one that brings glory unto you. Why not tonight? Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the words that we find throughout the scripture pointing unto him. Lord, I thank you for new life. I thank you for eternal life, everlasting life. Lord, I thank you that Jesus Christ came and gave his life that I might have life everlasting. Lord, I'm thankful tonight it's not just for the preacher. And I'm thankful tonight that it's not just for the church member. But the Bible is clear to teach that that gospel is for whosoever will. Whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever will, that is the one in which Christ gave his life. And Father, I don't know who is watching this tonight. I don't know who might see this in the future. But if there is one that, that sees this video and hears these words that does not know Jesus Christ to be their Savior, Lord, I pray that you would deal with that person and deal with them personally. And that you would deal with them specifically. Father, that you would bring that conviction in which only you can, that they would respond, that they too might know that their name has been penned in the book of life, that they might know heaven to be their eternal home. Father, we sure do love you tonight. Thank you for your goodness. I do continue to pray for our church here. I pray for those who are watching tonight. I thank you for them. Lord, I just pray that you would bless them, that this would be an encouragement to them. In Jesus' name, amen.